Four months after the October 7th Hamas terror attacks on Israel and Israel's bombardment of Gaza began, the situation is growing more complex and spreading in different ways that affect India. So where does New Delhi stand on each of the issues? Hello and welcome to Worldview at the Hindu with me, Sohasini Heather. We return to the conflict in Gaza this week, where despite uh, talks for another ceasefire, and the, the bombardment of Gaza by Israeli defense forces who are on the ground in the territory continued for a fourth month. Now, if you were to look away just from those very, very disturbing images we see coming out of Gaza and just look in terms of the numbers, here are the top five statistics you should know. Since October 7th, when 1,200 people in Israel were killed in a series of brutal terror attacks, Israel's reprisal has killed 26,500 people about 65,000 are injured or missing. 1.9 million or 85% of Gaza's population is internally displaced, mostly living in refugee shelters. 80% of the labor force is currently unemployed. UNOSAT images show that by the end of November 2023, so just within two months, more than 37,000 buildings had been damaged, among them hospitals, schools, and universities. In Davos, an official said that just to rebuild those homes will cost about um, $5 billion. Now, take a look at the GDP of Gaza. In 2023, the GDP per capita in Gaza shrank by 26%. It stands at uh, one-third of its peak in two 2005. Uh, much of that has uh, shrinking has come after October 7. Now, UNCTAD, the UN agency, actually has a report estimating that even assuming that the military operation ends immediately, reconstruction starts straight away, and GDP growth goes to 10%. The GDP per capita of Gaza will return to its original levels of before 2022, uh, only by 2028, and perhaps only to its peak levels by 2035. So that's a real step back, and you can read that entire UNCTAD report online estimating the damage so far. From the initial violence and the initial response by Israel, the conflict has moved in so many ways, and many of those have had an impact on India. I'm going to give you five the initial global focus on the war on terrorism shifted rapidly with civilian casualties in Gaza rising. Uh, India had, remember, in October abstained from one resolution calling for, for an immediate ceasefire, uh, but it reverted to its old stand by December, voted for a resolution along with 152 nations calling for an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. That was in December. The second part, we've been watching Houthi attacks from Yemen um, on Israel by missile drones, but then they grew into a blockade of the Red Sea trading corridors and the Indian Navy is being called in to help rescue ships. It has stationed at least a dozen warships east of the Red Sea in addition to its other anti-piracy uh, programs. In addition, the break between Israel and Arab states as a result of this, as well as the Red Sea crisis, have led to a pause in two major Indian initiatives, the I2U2, uh, which is Israel, India, US, UAE and US, as well as the IMEC, the uh, India-Middle East uh, Economic Corridor to Europe that was launched in the G20. Now, if you take a look at the map, you can already see how the conflagration is growing across the region. Um, to begin with, Israeli strikes on Lebanon, Iran-backed Houthis targeting Israel, the terror bombings in Iran, Iran's missile strikes on Iraq and Pakistan, the US and UK strike on Yemen, Israeli strikes on Iranian officers in Syria, 
and then a drone strike that killed U.S. soldiers in Jordan. With this kind of regional instability inching closer to India, uh, we saw External Affairs Minister S.J. Shankar actually travel to Tehran for some very important talks there with his counterpart. Now, the global south has been, become increasingly critical of Israel and this is another area where India is being affected because India does, want, does seek a kind of leadership of the global south. The International Court of Justice, the ICJ last week, handed down an initial ruling on South Africa's demand that Israel be tried for genocide. While the court didn't accept the plea that it should call for an immediate ceasefire, it did criticize Israeli ministers for their comments and, of course, has asked Israel to prevent acts of genocide and given six provisional measures for that. Meanwhile, Israel has launched its campaign against the United Nations Agency in Palestine, the UNRWA. It accused 190 of 13,000 employees of direct involvement in terror groups and the October 7th attack. It actually uh, identified about 11 of them so far, according to reports. The UN did move. It terminated contracts. It ordered a major inquiry. But a majority of UNRWA funders, US, Canada, Australia, Britain, uh, Germany, France, Japan, have all frozen their funding for the moment, uh, saying they're outraged by these allegations. Now, where does India stand on that? Here's what the MEA said. And remember, India has been providing $5 million a year to UNRWA. Uh, it increased that amount in the last couple of years and sent its last tranche, latest tranche in December. Listening. On the UNRWA, we have... You know, India is an important development partner of Palestine. We have been extending assistance to them both bilaterally and through the United Nations. Uh, but at the same time, we have a policy of zero tolerance towards terrorism. And in this regard, we are deeply concerned at the allegations that UNRWA staff were involved in October 7th terror attacks. We also welcome the investigations launched by the United Nations in this regard. So if I were to sum up just where India stands now when it comes to this conflict and all the various issues, to begin with, New Delhi has made the point of zero tolerance on terrorism. It's called October 7th a terror attacks, but it hasn't banned Hamas as a terror organization so far. Remember, this is something Israel has been asking for. Uh, some of its decisions may be complicated by the fact that much of the Hamas leadership is seen in Qatar and India has an already complicated relationship with Qatar, especially after the, uh, the case against the naval officers there. Second, after what seemed like the initial shift towards Israel at the UN General Assembly, India has moved back to its traditional position of supporting Palestine, criticizing Israeli settlements in every vote. India has also expressed sympathy for Palestinians. It's talked about the human cost and the suffering quite a lot. But it is also preparing to send more than 50,000 laborers to fill construction jobs. Now, those jobs came available because Israel has canceled Palestinian entry permits. Uh, so they may actually be replacing them. The impact of that kind of move, uh, one concern is what could be on the 8 million expatriate Indians who live and work in the Gulf at present. The fourth area, India hasn't, of course, called on Israel directly for a ceasefire. But apart from the UNGA resolution, India was a part of a very strong non-alignment resolution. It was called the Kampala Declaration that soundly condemned Israel. And the fifth, 
India isn't mediating in the crisis, uh, but it is believed to be passing on messages from one side to the other, as it has also uh, done by its own admittance during the Ukraine war. Now, external affairs minister Jay Shankar has made it clear that India's position is squarely for a two-state solution. This is something India has not budged on, a two-state solution with Israel and Palestine living in peace next to each other. But he said there are so many issues, it is a basket, it is not possible to pick one and the other and not choose to talk about some of the other issues. Listen in. There has to be a Palestinian state side by side with the state of Israel. So, for us today, there are all these aspects. You know, we cannot take one aspect and say that's the only aspect. I think you have to look at the totality of all these issues and strike the right balance and that is really, uh, in a way, uh, what, what we are trying to do. So you need to look comprehensively at the issue. So what's worldviews take? The unprecedented destruction of Gaza over the past four months has definitely pushed India back onto the tightrope walk between Israel and Palestine. There is just too much at stake in the outcomes of the conflict, including India's ties with the rest of the region, the future of its major infrastructure corridors, and the sources of Indian energy, military hardware, and remittances from expats for India to be seen coming down very heavily on one side or the other. It's time for reading recommendations and we've been trying to get you new books each time. This time I want to talk about some of the books that I will be uh, discussing with the authors themselves in a panel discussion. Uh, the first is The Short History of Israel and Palestine from Zionism to Intifadas and the Struggle for Peace. This is by Michael Scott Bauman. It came out in early 2023. Um, there is the next book is something called Crossing Mandelbaum Gate by Kai Bird, who has written other books on the issues uh, that you might enjoy. The Palestine Laboratory, it's a strong critique of Israel. It's, it's called How Israel Exports the Technology of Occupation Around the World. And this is by Anthony Lewinstein. Um, there's a book on the history, The Tribe's Triumphant Return Journey to the Middle East by Charles Glass. Indians at Herod's Gate, A Jerusalem Tale. This is by a former Indian ambassador to Israel, Navdeh Sarna. And finally, Can We Talk About Israel? A Guide for the Curious, Confused and Conflicted by Daniel Sokach. Certainly enjoy, hope you enjoy reading all of those and join us again here on Worldview from the team here. Thanks for watching.